Better? Better. Okay. Good morning. Do a little quick change here and put on a different hat. And this morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 21. Since you are God's dear children, you must try to be like him. Your life must be controlled by love, just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us as a sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice that pleases God. Since you are God's people, it is not right that any matters of sexual immorality or indecency or greed should even be mentioned among you. Nor is it fitting for you to use language which is obscene, profane, or vulgar. Rather, you should give thanks to God. You may be sure that no one who is immoral, indecent, or greedy, for greed is a form of idolatry, will ever receive a share in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Do not let anyone deceive you with foolish words. It is because of these very things that God's anger will come upon those who do not obey him. So have nothing at all to do with such people. You yourselves used to be in the darkness, but since you have become the Lord's people, you are in the light. So you must live like people who belong to the light, for it is the light that brings a rich harvest of every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Try to learn what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the worthless things that people do, things that belong to the darkness. Instead, bring them out to the light. It is really too shameful to even talk about the things they do in secret. And when all things are brought out to the light, then their true nature is clearly revealed. For nothing that is clearly revealed, for anything, excuse me, for anything that is clearly revealed becomes light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, and rise from death, and Christ will shine on you. So be careful how you live. Don't live like ignorant people, but be wise people. Make good use of every opportunity you have, because these are evil days. Do not be fools then, but try to find out what the Lord wants you to do. Do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Sing hymns and psalms to the Lord with praise in your hearts. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always give thanks for everything to God the Father. And submit yourselves to one another because of your reverence for Christ. Lord, we thank you for this message and we look forward to you speaking through Pastor Aaron as he delivers the message from your word. Thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
Good morning again. Well, this morning our, we will continue in our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. We'll be in chapter 5. And as you turn there, you'll probably notice the heading. The ESV calls it Warnings Against Adultery. What does that have to do with the passage that we just read or the sermon title? You'll see in the bulletin that the covenant is wisdom. How does this connect to our scripture reading? Well, a covenant is an... Sorry, I mistyped this. Is an intentional relationship and a commitment between two parties. Human covenants are like marriage, is an example. Adultery is a violation of the covenant of marriage. Biblical covenants are between God and his people, where God first covenanted with Adam. Adam is a federal head or a representation of a group that would fall under him, under and united within a covenant. Covenants come with blessings and curses, if you're familiar with the scripture. And so when Adam sinned, the curse for the people who would fall under that covenant is death. Being under Adam's headship, all of us are under that suffering before we meet Christ. So God made a covenant as well with Noah, then Abraham, and all of those folks, those two are heads. Abraham was a head of all nations who will be blessed through belief. Moses is a federal head. The nation will inherit land. We follow, or God called the nation of Israel to follow the law, or they would be exiled if they didn't. David was a federal head. He'll have a king over the nation forever. Jesus has a covenant with his people as well, a covenant of grace, where all we have to do is believe and be saved. And so consider this idea of covenant, the relationship that we have with God, and then as adultery, as one example of what we'll talk about as idolatry. John Calvin said that the human mind is a perpetual forge of idols, an idol factory. The human mind dares to imagine a God suited to its own capacity, substitutes things in the place of God, and the flesh is always restless until it has obtained some figment like itself with which it may vainly find comfort in itself as a representation of God. And so our sinful hearts, friends, violate God's covenant. We create false God, the Bible calls idols. We bow down before them, we sacrifice to them, we worship them. God created Adam and Eve, Eve from Adam's side to be a wife, and he commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to enjoy the blessings of this one flesh union well, there's always idols constantly seeking to wedge their way into that relationship. And so as we find ourselves in the book of Proverbs, remember who is writing these first few chapters. It's Solomon, the man who had a thousand wives. He knows something about adultery and its roots in idolatry. 
And not only was Solomon's marital covenant violated, but his relationship with God and his covenant with him was violated as well, turning his heart away from the Lord. And so although adultery is the idol we see in Proverbs chapter 5, I want to apply this text in light of all the adultery that we see. That's why I had Bruce read Ephesians chapter 5. Remember the covenant is wisdom. Today we'll see idolatry. It's not sweet. Then we need to flee it. It leads to death. And so consider asking God, if it's not adultery in your life, what is the idol that I struggle with? Please don't check out if it's not adultery. Jesus said looking lustfully is adultery. But clearly it starts within our hearts, violating the covenant that God has with us. And so consider Ephesians 5 that Bruce just read. Sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, which is idolatry, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, ingratitude. What is it for you? Maybe the Lord would reveal that to you. Would you pray with me and we'll look at Proverbs chapter 5. <coughs> Father, as Augustine said, our, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so God, as we consider our own hearts, God, would you be gracious to us? God, would you remind us of the gospel, your son who came to die for our sins, our idols, our lack of worship of you? our lack of not having any other gods before you. God, would we be attentive to your words as we've prayed already. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to your word. And we pray this for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the first six verses where Solomon will show us that idolatry is bitter. It is not sweet. Proverbs 5, 1 to 6. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. We'll stop right there. Like a good father, Solomon, he continues to give good gifts to his children. He's saying to us as readers, pay attention. Having him failed himself, he says to the reader, you need discretion. Be aware. The enemy will come in very, very sly ways and say things like we see in the garden. Did God really say, you should have no other gods? Doesn't he want you to be happy? Did God really say you should hold fast to the wife that God has given you and become one flesh? Doesn't he want you to be happy? Did God really say, did God really know that this spouse would be the one that he would give to me, that she doesn't really love me or he doesn't really care for me? I don't really love them. It's just too hard to continue. Doesn't he want you to be happy? 
Friends, God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. But he knows that in your holiness that you will find your true happiness in him. That he is the greatest source of our happiness. And Solomon says, be aware. Keep watch. Guard yourself. Keep alert. And this passage is not just for men. It is for both of us, men and women. Adultery isn't just a man thing or a woman thing. It is a humanity thing. Idolatry is humanity's problem. Solomon's using similar language to Peter. He says, be ready for your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And adultery is a violation of God's call to marital faithfulness. One man with one woman for one God for one lifetime. And anything that deviates from this is idolatry. Adultery is the example here, but it can include that which comes before marriage and fornication or prostitution or homosexuality. All go in the category of sexual sin that God abhors that is idolatry. And idolatry is alluring. Look at verse 2. Lips like honey with sweetness, refreshment, and sustenance. It's appealing. Vermonters, swap honey with maple syrup. Her speech is smooth like oil. Oil would be used for the anointing of a person for a particular task of a prophet or priest or a king to work in the service of God. These are good things and they might appeal good on the surface, but idolatry is not good for God's people. When good things become God things, it becomes a bad thing and the Bible calls this idolatry. And while temptations towards idolatry look good, smell good, taste good, feel good, they end up being bitter and smelly and dangerous. The serpent, more crafty than any other beast of the field, doesn't God want you to be happy? And we can be honest, oftentimes we say, he does. And so I want to do this, right? In the end, though, idolatry is like a sharp sword piercing the heart. Hebrews says that that's the Bible. But this is in the negative sense in verse 4. It will lead to death. The covenant is not a contract. It's a commitment to faithfulness with our God. And our world loves prenups as marriages remain for what I want and what I want to preserve. But God does not make a prenup with his people. He commits his full self to us. Adultery in all forms of, uh, and all forms of idolatry doesn't lead to life. We see in verse 6, it leads to hell. Solomon calls that Sheol. Foolishly disregarding the wisdom of the covenant, adultery and all idolatry moves us away from God and towards our pending death. And the way of wisdom is to see this as foolishness. And if that's not a good enough warning, Solomon continues in the next section, verses 7 to 14, where idolatry isn't sweet, it's bitter. And second, he says, don't pursue it. Flee from it. 
It's repentance, turning from our sin and running towards God. Let's read that next section, 7 to 14. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of their life you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Every parent has had the conversation with their children. Okay, I want you to listen to me. Okay, I got it, Dad. No, 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 I, I really want you to listen to me, okay? I want you to go clean your room. Got it, I'm going upstairs. A couple hours later, you're like, I wonder if they did it. Did you clean your room? No, I forgot. Forgetting is not idolatry, but we all need to remember so that we will flee idolatry when it is right before us. We all need constant reminders. And Paul describes idolatry in this way in Romans 1. He says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Worshiping anything created is idolatry. So what do we sacrifice for? Where does our money go first? Where does your discouragement come from? What do you fear? What do you constantly think about or talk about? I think those are good questions that you might be asking, you need to ask yourself. God, what is the thing that I struggle with, with idolatry? Paul says idolatry is foolishness. Solomon says to flee from it. Solomon doesn't just say, don't go into the house. He says, don't go near the house in verse 8. John Owen, a famous Puritan, he wrote a book for his church called The Mortification of Spin, of Sin. Mortification of Spin is actually a podcast. The Mortification of Sin to encourage readers to mortify or kill their sin while at the same time cultivating or building up a life of holiness. He says, don't just avoid it. He says, put it to death. And Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Adam, when he met with the serpent, remember he was with Eve, what he should have done when he heard this talking serpent, he should have crushed the serpent's head right then and there when it spoke. But furthermore, idolatry saps us of our strength in verse 10. It leads to groaning and ultimately in verse 11 to our end. Idolatry is foolishness. It shows us that we hate discipline. We hate reproof, another word for correction in verse 12. That we disregard instruction in verse 13. And then it leads to ruin in verse 14. But our good father, writing through the hand of Solomon in Proverbs, says it's wise to flee our idolatry and adultery here is just our example in the text because all idolatry ultimately leads to death. Idolatry proves destructive. 
so flee it. Wisdom says, consider our covenant with God, where he, we are his people. He is our God, and worshiping anything other than him is idolatry. Hold fast to God, as it says in the text, it will hold fast. Wisdom will hold fast to you. We oftentimes will pray, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or we'll rest in Paul's words to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We like those verses, don't we? But it's foolish to pray like Jesus or to leverage the words of Paul while we pursue our idols. Lead me not into temptation, we pray, and then we turn around and we walk right to it. Or I have a way of escape, but I'm really not going to go and try to escape. I'm going to go and walk closer to this temptation before me. Paul says, or Solomon says, don't go near it. Don't go towards the house. Don't go on to the website. Don't spend time with that person. Kill the sin. God's way of escape is often simple grace to delete the app, quit the job, avoid the person, block the website. Don't shop at that store. Pursue a better friendship or more godly relationship. Hold fast to your spouse. Your spouse is God's gift to combat adultery. And that is idolatry. And idolatry, and especially adultery, doesn't just happen by accident. We would say it's weird for me to go into another house, right? And if you saw me driving down the road and you're like, why are you going into that house? That would be weird. You guys would be not okay with it. I know a brother in the church, he blocked some websites, even Fox News, because when he goes on that, there's titillating links to distract him from the wife that he has at home. Fox News does that. Stay off of it is a, actually a good thing. Maybe delete a social media account like Instagram or Facebook. Not only for the waste of time that it is, but for the temptation that is always there. Run away from idolatry. You know what you think? for the most part, but God knows everything that we think, that we do, that we feel. The media companies know a lot of that as well. Don't avoid it because the media companies might use it against the church one day. Avoid it because it's a violation of God's commands for his people. It's a violation of our covenant with God. No one gets married and says, till death do we part, that I want freedom to still be an adulteress. It would be absurd to go to a wedding like that, right? Today is a great day to kill your sin. My heart, my heart is an idol factory. I know yours is as well. So get a brother or sister to help you, to be accountable with. We're only as accountable as we want to be. Do you want to be accountable? Do we want to keep our commitment to the covenant that God has before us? And wisdom is remembering the covenant that we have with God. 
And remember, this isn't just about adultery. The covenant with Moses famously gives us the Ten Commandments. Adultery is just the sixth one in there. What about honoring your father and your mother in, verse, or in the fifth one? Or stealing the eighth one? Do you fudge some numbers? Do you clock in early? Do you clock out late? Do you keep things from Uncle Sam? Or is it covetousness, the tenth one? Do you desire someone else for your spouse? That's adultery, the sixth one. Or stuff? Or do you trust God's good hand of generosity towards you? What may God substitute for you if adultery isn't something that you struggle with, that you idolize right now? Church, let's never be content with our lack of holiness. True contentment comes from trusting God as sovereign, trusting God as good, trusting God that he is a good sovereign king. So let's trust his grace. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the end, fixed on the covenant that he has with us, that idolatry is bitter, so let's flee it. But the covenant is also wisdom because God provides us life when idolatry produces and promises death. Look at the last few verses of chapter five. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Disregarding the covenant, friends, leads to death. Adultery is death. And Solomon counters it with the words of enjoy your spouse. Drink from your own well. And rejoice in the wife or your husband of your youth. Enjoy God's good gift. He does not want you to consider the fact, or he wants you to be happy. And he has given the, the spouse to you that you have. Solomon appeals to the pleasures provided through God's created order. Marriage is good, so enjoy it. Food is good, so enjoy it. He created many things for us to enjoy in this world, to be grateful to him for those blessings, to worship him because of the gift, but not to worship the gift that he has given us in the process. Embrace your spouse, not the forbidden woman in verse 20. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord in verse 21. Idolatry, idolatry leads to an entanglement like a spider web in verse 22 and 23. It says it leads ultimately to the end of death. God doesn't keep good things from us. And Solomon appeals to the goodness of God and the life that he provides that we saw last week in his word. Consider the covenant as wisdom as much as last week we said consider the word of God as wisdom. Remember Abraham's covenant. Remember the promise that God gave to Abraham? The barren man, woman married to the old man. Through you, I will give you 
a multitude of nations. He had no children. But Sarai, his wife, was impatient. She didn't want to wait for God. And so she gave Hagar to her husband, her servant to her husband. She says, go commit adultery with another woman because she stopped trusting in the covenant and the promises of God for his people. She started listening to the lies. Abraham started listening to his wife. In verse, or Genesis 16, 2, and it led him into adultery. That doesn't mean, men, that you don't listen to your wives, but any spouse that is leading you to deviate from what God's word says, don't listen to that. Follow what the Bible says. And so it's a good thing that our covenant is with God because if it rested on us, we'd be like Sarah and Abraham, right? It would fail. We would fail. When we disregard the covenant, we wander off the path that God has laid out for us. It's narrow, but we wander off the path and it leads to our destruction. And even when we fail, God wants us to remember the covenant rests on Him, not on us, where He keeps us to the end. 20, verse 22 says, our iniquities hold us. But as we sing the song oftentimes, right? He will hold me fast. I think we can say like, He holds us faster then our iniquities hold us in our sin. Proverbs 5 is about the great cost that idolatry charges to our account. Consider again Ephesians 5. Is it sexual morality, impurity, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, impurity, or covetousness? What is it for you? I had Bruce read the first 20, chapter, or 20 verses of Ephesians because it relates to this wisdom and the idolatry before us. But if you're familiar with Ephesians 5, Paul finishes Ephesians 5 by talking about marriage. And I don't think it's a mistake. And I do think it ties to our passage here this morning in Proverbs 5. If you want to turn to Ephesians, let's read that together. Ephesians 5 Verse 22, I don't think it's an accident that this follows what I just had Bruce read for us. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is found in Genesis chapter 2. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, lead, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There was a covenant before all those covenants that I mentioned 
Abraham or Adam or Noah or Moses. It's a covenant of redemption. When God gave Adam to Eve, even then, it was a picture of Christ and the church before sin even entered into the world. Remember I said it was from Genesis 2. Sin came in Genesis 3. And every marriage since that day was a, going to be a picture of Christ with his bride. Before the foundation of the earth, the covenant of redemption, three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, made a covenant amongst themselves to save and redeem a people, you and I. The Father would send the Son to redeem those people who would believe, while the Spirit would apply the work of the Son to guarantee the salvation of God's people on behalf of those who believe, providing eternal life. Friends, God wants us to be happy. God ordained the world, and Paul quotes Genesis 2 that came before Genesis 3, because he knew that this would point to this covenant, this covenant of redemption where God would ordain the world and knowing that this covenant would be for us, God's people, where God would be faithful to us even when we lack faithfulness to him and save us from our sins. Where Christ accomplished what Adam failed to do as first husband, as a federal head. But Christ becomes our new federal head as the perfect husband who loves his bride, who protects his bride, who keeps his bride in that covenant always to the end, who dies for his bride, for you and for me. We don't have time today to consider, but I'd, I'd encourage you to, to look at two Old Testament books this week. Hosea, and the Song of Solomon. Hosea is a prophet. He's tasked by God to marry a prostitute, depicting the idea of unfaithfulness of God's people as an example for them to see what they have done and given themselves to. Adultery is prostitution. Historically, the church has seen Hosea as a picture of God's people adulterating themselves and their relationship with God, giving themselves to idolatry. And on the other side, the Song of Solomon, written by Solomon, depicts the beautiful language of a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. The poetry back and forth describes the infatuation that these two have for each other, the attraction that they have for each other in stark contrast to Hosea. The husband and wife enjoy the good gifts of marriage together, infatuated with one another. And historically, the church has looked at Song of Solomon as a picture of Christ and the church. It's a good exercise to consider. Is, am I like the story of Hosea, or am I like the story of the Song of Solomon, as it relates to my end of the covenant that I have with God? The covenant is wisdom, and God keeps his promises. As the bridegroom, he says, till death do we part. In believing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have eternal life because God never dies. So the words, till death do we part, it rests on him and not on us. Marriage, as John Piper calls it, is God's showcase of covenant-keeping grace. 
Marriage exists to display God's love for the church and the church's response and love to God. So death do we part rests on the undying God who we worship. God keeps his promises. So the covenant is wisdom. God doesn't die. He will never fail us. Oftentimes we look at marriage as kind of like 50-50 where we give half of ourselves. But marriage is always 100% of ourselves for our spouse. And God gives us 100% of himself for us in the covenant with us. And so consider that marriage relates to God's covenant with you and with me. And having understand this, that changes everything in our lives towards a wise way of living, the wisdom of the covenant that we have with God. And so as we close out our time, the covenant of wisdom, I think, reminds us of three things. God's favor, God's provision, and God's protection. We see in Proverbs 18, his favor. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. All the men said, Amen. A husband and a wife provide each other constant reminders of the favor of the Lord. Where marriage is a mutually agreed upon covenant ordained by God to bring about the collective holiness of the individuals in the marital covenant, but also of the family that we lead. The covenant provides reminders of God's favor, and that is wisdom. Covenant also provides provision. Proverbs 19, 13 to 14. A foolish son is a ruin of his father, and a, wife, a qu wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Where there's a mutual relationship and partnership in marriage, where equally a husband and a wife seek each other's growth and holiness. And like I already said, a blessing for the family that they lead together. The warnings about a quarreling wife are also mentioned three other times in the book of Proverbs. And I think they're God's way of providing motivation towards proper communication with God and us. I think the church can be a nag towards God. Why do I not have this? Why did you do that? But picking up some of the themes of Israel complaining in the wilderness because they were given bread that they did nothing to earn, they got tired of it. And so they complained in the wilderness. And Paul says this, picking up some of that same language in Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so when we substitute our worship for good things that God provides, they become a functional God for us, which we call idolatry. I want a different spouse. I want different children. I want a different job. I want a different net worth. I want fill in the blank. You can definitely be me with some of those. We love to complain. The covenant provides wisdom and reminders of God's provision, his good gifts to his people. It also provides protection. Proverbs 30, verse 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Alluring. The covenant of wisdom provides protection from the allures of adultery and idolatry. 
Proverbs 2, from a few weeks ago, 16 to 19 says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Friends, God is sweeter than anything this world could provide for us. And Solomon knew firsthand with a thousand wives, he says, don't chase your idols. Solomon is probably the richest man who has ever walked this earth. He says, it's not worth it. He wants us to be faithful to our end of the covenant. And so he uses adultery as the example to remember we must kill our idols. The covenant that God provides for us to the end is wisdom. And so let's remember that marriage is God's idea to remind us of this covenant that he makes with us. And it's wise to consider this. God never fails us. And by putting our sin and idolatry to death and enjoying the good gifts that God gives to us and provides, most importantly, the gift of himself, we can trust the covenant, the commitment that he makes with us. And by God's grace, we can be faithful to our commitment to worship him and have no other gods before us. The covenant of wisdom reminds us what God values. A loving marriage, showing Christ's love for the church. Fidelity to one another, showing Christ's fidelity to the church. Provides protection in marriage, showing Christ's protection for his people. A mutual value in marriage, where Christ's value towards us, that he loved us so much that he gave himself for us so that we might enjoy him and love him in response to what he has given to us. And so church, let's be wise. Let's consider God's covenant with us. Let's kill our idols. They're bitter. Let's flee them. And let's receive the life that God provides for us in his word through his covenant with us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, as Paul says, what shall we say to these things? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, Father, we thank you for your Son who rose from the dead to give us a newness of life that we can follow your word. It is good for us. It's hard, but it is good for us because you're a good, loving Father. You're a faithful husband through your Son to die for us. And so, God, in light of that, we ask for your help. We ask for your Spirit to, to transform our hearts that we would kill our idols, that we would worship you and you alone. And even in this time right now, as we close out our time together, would you help us to worship in song, to sing of how amazing you are. God, we ask for your help, for your glory, and for our joy. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.